Hello there, everybody. Welcome, Welcome to Jewish. To Jewish. Season two. Okay. <laughs> Jewishish for June twenty third, and I want to begin with two sports stories tonight. First, stay over on this side because I want to show you a very strange sport highlight. But the first one is that a uh, defensive lineman for the Los Angeles Raiders became the first ever active player to announce that he's gay. Mm. And given you know the way masculinity works in relation to football. Um, I think, you know, the guy gets a lot of credit for bravery. I, I also, the fact that with his announcement, he, he announced that he's going to donate $100,000 to the Trevor Project, which is a nonprofit group that focuses on suicide prevention efforts among uh, LGBTQ uh, youth. Um, so I, I think, I don't know, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I, like I, I, I think we like him. Here, come back to this side. I want to show you one of the most bizarre baseball highlights I have ever uh, seen. This is, so the, this is, the Arizona Diamondbacks are on their way to setting all kinds of records for most losses in a season. They've got the, uh, on their way to the record for most road losses. They're in contention to beat the Mets record for most losses in a season uh, in 1962. And uh, if they're going to have a chance to set that record, it will depend on making plays like this. And Obias on the ground, throw into center field, a base hit. Big man rounding third and in. Oh no, he's not. He came up limping, and he's trying to hobble to the plate that he's going to get there as everybody froze. For the Diamondbacks, Vogelback came up hobbling around third. So this guy pulls his hamstring. He's not going to be out for weeks and can't walk. But the Diamondbacks don't throw the ball, so he hops on one leg into home plate. I've never seen this play before. Watch, you'll see it when they... So he's he's really hurt. But watch... Watch, watch what he's able to do because they don't throw it. Conclusion that Vogelback was going to be able to score on that, but watch what happens. I mean, he comes up lame, and then is able to he hobble just his is way barely to able to limp it, and, and nobody. For the Brewers. I mean, Nick Ackman, who's been a Golden Glove shortstop, just somehow froze on it. Home, but he's able to so we feel feel bad for Vogelback, who's going to be hurt for a while now. Kind of courageous. So, yeah, so exactly right. So the other wow. thing I thought we might do today is uh, talk about Blue, uh, which John? had its fiftieth anniversary uh, this week. And I know you've seen the little message uh, that she sent, but I want to play it. It's only less than half a minute, and it's really quite uh, sweet, lovely, right? We like this. Yeah. I think yes. Hi. So. Um, I'm, I'm so pleased with all of the positive attention that Blue is receiving these days. You know, when it was first released, it, it fell heir to a lot of criticism. So 50 years later, people finally get it. <laughs> and that pleases me. Thank you. I love that laugh, first of all. I yeah. think that's wonderful, and I'm, I'm delighted to see her relishing um, this kind of attention. 
So, um, so I just thought we might talk very quickly song by song. One of the oddities of Spotify is the extraordinary number of plays that get registered. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Blue on Spotify, you see numbers of plays ranging from uh, 5 million to 87 million. That's a lot of plays, right? And it's, it's kind of... Ex- Spotify. What's that? That's only Spotify. Right. But it's really kind of... Ex- I mean, these, these are not albums that sold a million copies when they first came out. So it's, it's kind of remarkable to think of just the expanded breadth of audience for somebody like Joni Mitchell um, in our time. But I just thought I'd ask you, maybe play little snippets, and just ask you song by song a little bit. Okay? You ready to talk about the album that way? So, one reason I wanted to do this is that my understanding is that All I Want, the first song on the album, is a good example of the open tuning that really characterizes her, no? Oh, that's not? Really? Oh, that's a dulcimer. Gotcha. Okay. Which she uses a fair amount, right? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Right. And um, so any comments about this song in particular as an opening to the album? Um, it's brilliant. I mean, all of them are brilliant. Oh, all of them are brilliant. Album. It's okay. a fantastic, it's a fantastic start to an album. She, um, she starts and ends this album. She, she uses a lot of uh, kind of first person, very uh, real world narrations about traveling and spaces, but these, she starts and ends this album with two songs where the first line is, or one of the lines, and in this case the first line is a, a, a more figurative, I'm on a lonely road. Right. Um, it's not a brilliant line, yes. I think it's not profound as so. yes. It's a really interesting way to set the tone for an album where a lot of it is very you know, yes. you know, focused on travel and real world places in a more realistic Right. I think there are ways in which you could connect the use of the first person on this album to the conf- confessional poets who emerged just before all this. And a yeah. professor of mine, um, Diane Middlebrook, who is somebody I really admire, made the argument that confessional poetry, which people think of as apolitical, because it's very much central, centered on the first person, is in fact deeply political in the context of the time because there was so much pressure to conformity. Mm. And I, I, I do think it's important to attach the I in Joni Mitchell's songs to a kind of resistance, a kind of refusal for certain kinds of norms, particularly that would have been expected for women at the time of this um, album when one thinks of it as 50 years old. So... Um, I, I, I think that's another kind of impressiveness I might associate with it. Cool. All right, so that's that's all I want. The second song on the album is My Old Man, um, which always, for me, kind of gets intertwined with the Neil Young song, Old Man, uh, from around the same uh, time. But this is, um, this, this is a very good demonstration of the use of piano in the album this there's a lot about the piano on here that's like the piano (coughs) elsewhere on the album it seems to me yeah i think it's also a very different songwriting style from the first song i think the first song is not very typical the way you were saying uh, both in 
and structure and melody and everything. And right. this is both more typical in that it's a kind of ballad song that uses piano the way a lot of things would, but also um, in its songwriting structure. Right? Yes. Right. It's, it, it has the refrain and it has a focus and all of that. It's very digestible, but it's still very sophisticated and great lyrics. And people have been trying to do with their voices what she does on this song ever since. <laughs> no one, and no one has ever really like done it. Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, for all that we greatly admire some people who clearly learned from her in singing, nobody else, <laughs> nobody else moves around the way she does on this song. Okay, Little Green is number three. Uh, so this is open tuning. This is an oh, it is. open huh. G tuning. Huh. And just explain to our listeners what that means. So in guitar, you have your normal tuning. Um, you, you play the guitar without pressing down with your left hand, and it gets you a kind of ugly sound. It's like an E major diminished, whatever. I don't know. Um, but sometimes, especially because Joni Mitchell had bad problems with her hands. Was it from polio? What, what was it? It's something um, like that, yeah. She used open tunings to make the things she was doing with her left hand, right, when you're putting on the fretboard, uh, putting your fingers on the fretboard. She, she used open tunings to make that easier and more manageable. And also it gives you these really bright, uh, kind of resonating open sounds. So that's what an open tuning is, is normally when you strum on a guitar without pressing down with your left hand, it sounds ugly. If you press down, uh, if she had strummed that guitar without pressing down, it would have sounded like a G chord. Gotcha. Um, so that's what open tuning is. Good. Good. All right, shall we go on to Carrie? Very sad, very beautiful song. Um, this is another dulcimer song, but it has guitar on it. You have a great story about this song. Yeah. You should tell that. So this is uh, told by a friend of ours in Ithaca who was in a diner in Washington um, once, and... Uh, uh, there was a guy behind the counter named Carrie, and somehow while sitting at the counter, our friend brought up Joni Mitchell and was admonished. No, he wasn't. You, when you told me it was a new person who was working at the place, and oh, on the jukebox right. put on a song of that's Joni right. Mitchell's, and You're someone right. else said, No, we never play we never, that in here. That's right. C- yes. Carrie told you never to play this. That's in right. Here. That's right. Yes. No, um, that's our friend was sitting at the counter and overheard. Yes, that's right. Yes, good. It is a great, great song. Great song. Important, actually. Carrie. Term for it. No, no, what's the right term for it? it? Not the chorus in terms of the songwriting structure, the chorus of the, the backing vocals. Because huh. she pans them a little. That huh. right there. So it's a really cool thing that a lot of people are going to It's really common these days. It's, it's, there's a way in which Carrie brings together different aspects of the first four tracks, right? Yeah, a little bit of the moon, mood of Little Green, the dulcer from dulcimer from All I Want to Do, and the moving around with the voice on the second and, and third tracks. moves the album along. Yes. Yeah. So the um, the title track is is next. Yeah. And um, very sad. Yeah. Something something sort of. I don't know, would you call it childlike about the piano on this? There's something... 
don't know. It's just this. It's poppy. Hmm. It's a lot slower than what I associate. Yeah, the pop ballad. Yeah. Yeah. And she's pulled back a little bit on the vocal here. Right? It's a little more Gregory Allen eyes a Well, sometimes it's quieter. Yeah. 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 Sometimes it's very loud. There's much more range dynamically here, but she's always been really brilliant with her range yes. dynamically. I don't think people listen to that, but what she does with volume is really cool. Very intentional. So when you look at the number of plays on Spotify, um, about half the album has around six million plays or less, but there are a few that have an extraordinary number of plays, mm-hmm. and we'll get later to the one that has by far the most plays. Yeah, sure. And it's immediately preceded by the one that has the third most plays. But the next cut on the album has nearly 60 million plays. Mm, that's right. And it's a wonderful, wonderful song. It's a but, great song. But it isn't, I don't know, it isn't um, six times greater than a little green. It just, there's, some, there's something about this song is, that grabs actually. people. Really? No yeah, kidding. I love yeah. this song. Yeah. Yeah, it's the only Johnny Mitchell song besides Big Yellow Taxi that people in my generation pretty regularly Oh, no kidding, really? One of my close friends, so I play huh. music with. She knows this. And, you know. I remember being in London with the husband of the person who told me the Carrie story, and we would listen to this song over and over again. And it, it is a great... Um, you know, there, there are some wonderful homesick songs. Mm-hmm. You play one called Virginia Call and My Son's Bill. That's great that way. But this is one of the all-time, all-times, I think. Yeah. Well, I, it also has a great sense of space, I think. Yes. Uh, or distance, maybe. Kind of wonderful the use of the word rogue in, in that verse. It's yeah. really great. and also omelets. Yeah. Yes, omelets. Yes. So th- th- this flight tonight this, this is, is a kind of song. I, I associate this with Black Crow from um, Hegira. There are these. And there, there are a bunch of these on Hissing the Summer Lawns and Don Ron, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter, these really intense strumming songs that I think of as very demanding in some ways. Uh, relentless in a certain way. Uh, but great. This is another open tuning. This is like uh, drop D or open D or something. Yeah. No, maybe not. I don't know. It's the same one she will use later on Conversation on mm. Ladies of the Canyon. Mm. Kind of cool stuff. She has recorded two guitars on this track. So the, the next one has the third most number of plays of any on the album on Spotify and has been recorded by a lot of people. And mm. we took a crack at playing it not that long ago. Yeah, it's we pretty, kind of crashed Pretty rough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about uh, deceptive simplicity and so on. This is. Brilliant, but Herbie Herbie Hancock likes uh, doing things with this, and that's by itself a kind of tribute. But I agree. this is this is a beaut. Uh, this, this, this is one of the ones that tugs at my heart most of any of, of hers. Uh, and 
it's the one that other really brilliant musicians can't do well. Right. James Taylor does it. Right. I've never thought that's his right. version is good. That's right. You know, a bunch of people who are just really incredible in other settings yeah. just can't do this song. That's right. Which is a testament to how great she is. So the next song, the penultimate song on the album, has by far the most plays of any. Really? On the album. That's but interesting. Massively. I wouldn't have put it. It's 86,000, which is... You know, a third more than California, and twice as much as River. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a case of you is clearly in, you know, at least on Spotify, the most popular song on I'd the probably have half album. Those yeah, and why wouldn't one? Yeah. Um, So uh, Mitchell, or you know that crew, released a kind of demo, a set of demo tapes as commemoration of the 50th, and there's a version of this on there, and it's amazing to see how much the demo is different than and oh, no how worse it is compared to this. Huh. She did a lot of editing, and she edited the right lines. Um, and so it's worth taking a listen to. I don't know. I mean, as a songwriter, it's really interesting. She's a real writer. I mean, as wonderful as it is that Dylan got the Nobel Prize, it's important not to think of him as sui generis in that generation. She's somebody who's sui generis. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of other people would say Leonard Cohen, too. I don't quite go there with that. But, uh, yeah. But our friend Theo would definitely insist on Leonard Cohen as part of that. Her great album that's called the end of this There's something about the Namaste album does a cover of a um, favorite uh, of a Leonard Cohen song. Yeah. I kind of like it actually. Yeah. No, I think the song's just that I just don't like it. Yeah. So the um, last song on the album is very much a, um, you know, concluding thing. And uh, very powerful, I think. Do you have any thoughts about the last time I saw Richard? Um, it's a brilliant way. I don't know. It's a brilliant song as well. And the album is the most poetically phrased of any on there. That's So, um, I think you know the T.S. Eliot poem, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Do you, do you, do you remember that poem? And he says in there, I, I, I grow old, I grow old. So the great critic Edmund Wilson said that he found it a little bit tough to hear Eliot, a man half his age, talking about growing old. Um, but there's a way in which this is, to me, a remarkable song as having been made by a young person who is feeling very old at this point in her life and there's a kind of exhaustion and a kind of nostalgia and a kind of pain that's that of maturity um and to think of this song as 50 years old um or from an album 50 years from 50 years ago by someone who seemed so weary as of this song i find quite quite moving um it makes me think of shamasini who's fourth collection um, North when he was still in his mid-thirties is a deep expression of exhaustion um, in various ways and 
having seen that message from Joni Mitchell, who's, you know, now up there in years and has had health problems and so on, I, I do think, especially, um, you know, in the wake of Dylan's birthday, that uh, we want to be thankful to these artists for having kept going. Heaney has a poem called Keeping Going. And um, not everybody in that generation did. And we should be deeply thankful for those who have. And so maybe we'll just uh, let that, this episode end with playing the rest of the uh, last time I saw Richard. And we'll call it that for uh, tonight. Okay? Thank you. This has been Jewishish. Richard got married to a figure skater, and he bought her a dishwasher.